All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Haskin, and I have an amazing, stunning guest for you today. I am so excited to bring you this episode. It's been a while in the works because of scheduling. She was off shooting a film. I was finishing up the Christmas album at the time I approached her and uh, finally came together. We were able to make some time to make it happen. And I am so grateful that she took some time out of her ridiculously busy schedule to uh, come and chat with me about movies, about her TED Talk, about uh, spirituality and her healing work. And and, uh, just a veritable taster tray of information is about to come your way. I uh, I was really excited to do this interview, and I um, I was kind of nervous. This is the first one I was a little bit nervous for, but uh, I think it came out really well, and I hope that you guys enjoy it as much as I did. She's absolutely dynamic, and uh, I'll be bringing her on in just a couple of minutes. First, you know, I got to talk about what's going on in my own life, which is just pretty much the same shenanigans I talk about every week. I have started a Facebook event for the release of the Haunted Holidays Deadly Christmas 3 album that will be coming out on October 18th. In the meantime, you'll be able to find uh, previews, little bits of trailers and snippets and teasers and things. And of course, uh, the links on the 18th when the show or when the album, the show, see what I'm used to now on the podcast, when the album actually comes out. I'm very excited for this one. This is the final uh, Haunted Christmas album because I've kind of run out of songs that I wanted to twist and uh, all the songs that I had written down, I ended up coming with ideas for. And then when I looked at some of the other ones, I'm like, eh, don't really have anything for those. So as far as I know, this will be the final one. I may do another Haunted Holidays album, but it won't be a Christmas album. So this is the third and final one. If you haven't heard the other two, check them out. They're everywhere. Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, all the usual places. And uh, so that's the main thing that's been going on here, as well as the podcast. Uh, now that I'm back in full swing from the hiatus of finishing the album, I've got a lot of great stuff coming to you for the month of October. A lot of wonderful Halloween-y haunted things planned for you. So come back and enjoy every week. But thank you so much for joining me this week with my amazingly special guest. And I think at the end of the show, when I describe her in one word, I think that you will agree with the word that I have chosen. So enjoy. Here is my amazing guest, ladies and gentlemen, Dee Wallace. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am extremely excited to bring my next guest on. This was uh, this has been a while in the works for our schedules to work out. Her far more than mine because I think I'm busy, but she puts me to shame. With over 200 movies, five books, a radio show, a TED Talk, and a daughter, the only person I know that has given Danny Trejo an IMDb run for his money, D. Wallace, ladies and gentlemen. D, how are you today? <laughs> What a great intro. Thank you, baby. That wasn't scripted <laughs> at all. <laughs> oh, well, that was good. <laughs> so you've done, now does that 200, does that include like General Hospital and the other TV credits or is that just No, movies? no. Well, it includes all my films on TV wow. and in the movies. Just the films. Yep. Now you are the highest credited person that is living. Is there someone that has more that is not with us anymore? Gosh, you know that's a good question. I don't know. I'm I'm sure that there are other actors that present or past 
uh, well, so my publicist tells me there's nobody living with 200 film credits right now. But I'm sure somebody else has done it. I'm sure. And we always listen to our publicists. Yeah. Because they know. <laughs> I listen to him because it makes me feel really good. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, even even record aside, I mean, it's an amazing accomplishment to have worked on that many projects because it says a lot of things. It says, A, people believe in your talent. It says people believe in you. And it says that people think that you are going to be interesting to the people that will come and pay money to experience your art. That's a huge compliment. It is. And a huge responsibility. Yeah. You know, because um, I, I take my acting work very seriously and always feel responsible for doing my best and being as honest as I can be for my fans who come forward to support me. You know, I it's been an ongoing theme on this show that that's part of what success really comes from is honesty. It's not, you know, and it's weird to say honesty when you're talking about acting because you're portraying someone that isn't you, but being honest in that and being honest in your promotion and the way that you feel about the projects that you work on, I think that's really a big part of the success. Well, absolutely. And I, you know, I was just watching an interview with Brad Pitt for Ad Astra, mm -hmm. and he was having this challenging conversation with the gentleman interviewing him about how acting shouldn't be acting. It should be being. Mm. And that's where the truthfulness comes from, is that you literally cannot do something that is not truthful from the core and the heart of the person you're playing. That's interesting. So let me see if I can make a comparison to that. Uh, if I'm sitting in a movie theater and I don't realize I'm in a movie theater, I'm so engrossed in what I'm watching that I don't realize I'm a physical being in a room. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I kind of come out of it. Maybe the director's giving us a visual break or, or I just get disconnected. Is it kind of the same thing then as the actor where you aren't really yourself? You're just inside of that person being them? I think it's that person being inside of us. Mm. I, I, from, from my perspective, I channel the character. She tells me what, what to do. She tells me what she's feeling. She tells me if I'm not being truthful to who she is. Very interesting. I've done very little acting, so this is way beyond <laughs> my acting skills is mostly sitting there being in the background. Um, I think that it's it's really interesting because you've created now so many characters. Has it gotten to a point where it's become repetitive or, or stale to create a new character because you've done so many? Oh, no, not ever. But I do enjoy... Like, for example, the character that I just did in Rob Zombie's Three from Hell, the character I've never done before. Mm. Um, and she really took me over. I mean, there were <laughs> times when I would be driving home from the set going, oh, my God, I did not just do that, did I? <laughs> um, you know, and like characters in The Frighteners, uh, Patricia, I'd never played uh somebody who had been victimized like that and remembered the joy of murdering everybody and succumbed to that again. I mean, uh, 
you know, have I played a lot of mothers? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Have any of them been the same? No. Right. Um, weak mothers, strong mothers, fearful mothers, um, passive aggressive mothers. Uh, I've done a few of those, I think. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But I'm just glad that you're not a method actor. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely have my method. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I just really enjoy, um, I, I really enjoy emotional arcs and playing emotional arcs. And um, so a character that gives me that to do and allows me to do that, I'm really happy. Well, it's, you know, it's it's interesting. I rewatched three of your movies this weekend in preparation for this that I had not seen in some time. And you're probably going to know which ones I picked. It's going to be E.T., Cujo, and The Howling. And yeah. As I watched those, I, I really paid attention more so to you than I it, normally I just watch the movie, but I really specifically paid attention to you and watching your emotional arcs, especially in Cujo, was really fascinating to see how far your character came in their journey. Yeah, Cujo is thank you, first of all. And Cujo, um well, it's a film I'm proudest of mm-hmm. for sure for my work. I'm obviously I love E.T. and had so much fun on the howling and loved the film, but I just feel like I went as far as I could go as honestly as I could go there in Cujo. Yeah. And, um, when Lewis Teague talks about it, he says, uh, uh, in, in the Q and A sessions we do together, he said, uh, all I can say is D just channeled that whole performance. And he was right. Yeah. Because that's the technique I use, yeah. It's it's fascinating because you really had to carry so much of that film, not just because you were on screen and isolated most of the time, um, but also you're dealing with a very young child actor who I would imagine you were very much a mother to on set, but you're also then dealing with an animal, which is always kind of a variable. Um, were there ever any points where you kind of felt like it was too much to handle? Oh, Sure. I mean, you just get absolutely spent and exhausted in a part like that, and um, which can actually feed the part, mm-hmm. but it it breaks down your resilience. I have to say, Danny Pintaro was like working with another adult. He was so good, so present. He was way beyond his years. The dogs, there were 13 dogs that played Cujo mm-hmm. and a guy in a, in a dog suit, a stuntman, um, didn't do very much in the film, but he did the few shots that would have been too dangerous for the dog to do. Right. Um, you know, but any way you look at it, there's 13 dogs and one me. Right. So... Uh, every scene was, how do I break down? How far do I break down? How much do I break down? Which way do I break down? And what a lot of people don't understand is that your body and your brain doesn't understand your acting. So when you're, um, doing a film like Cujo, which is all about fight or flight, your body is going through the same chemical reactions as it would if you were truly in danger. 
Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because I've heard you say this, uh, that the problem with our story is that we keep telling our story. And yeah. what I realize is that goes even further because our body physically remembers and relives the story every time we tell it. So if you're yep. in a car accident and you're talking about, well, I got hit this way and then my neck hurt and then this happened, your body's reliving that every time and it's going to be so much harder to heal. Well, yeah. And you're telling your brain, keep focused on this so you, the water of you can never let it go because water retains memory forever mm-hmm. since the beginning of time. And what are we? 80% water. Right. So if we... Uh, don't take responsibility in redirecting the water that we are, then we get to carry the same BS over and over and over and over and over again from past lives into future lives into the present, you know, and, and we don't, we don't end up creating the lives we want. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense when you really stop and think about it, but we usually don't stop and think about things. Yeah. We don't live consciously. Right. And we need to. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of quick other Cujo questions. One, um, is it right that it was not actually hot when you guys were filming it, but very cold? Yeah, we were pretty cold. I actually um, eventually had them rig a heater to put in the front of the car for us because, you know, we had to look hot, so we kept getting spritzed. Right. We didn't have any clothes on, and it was Northern California in November. Oh, so it yes. was chilly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't realize that, but that's part of the magic of Hollywood, right? The creating the illusion, yep. regardless of the reality. Well, and there, you know, there's a rule that if it's 30 degrees, you're in a fur coat. And if it's 80, I mean, if it's 80 degrees, you're in a fur coat. If it's 30 degrees, you're in a bikini. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that seems to be the case. Um, my other question is now, by the time that you had, uh, read the script, Stephen King had been a pretty well-known author. He had had a couple of movies made already. Was there a little bit of added pressure that you were going to be carrying the movie and it was also something he had written? I never looked at it that way. Um, I always approach a project from the perspective that it's my responsibility to bring my character and my part of it to life in the most truthful way possible, no matter whether it's a kid who's graduating from USC or Stephen King. And, um, I, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I never felt pressure because it was Steven Spielberg either. I'm there to serve the character. Right. And, The way I work, the character tells me what to do. So really, there's not a lot of pressure. Let me rephrase that then and say, was it a little more exciting because you knew it would be something that would be in the spotlight? Um, No, (laughs) because because you really don't ever know. You know, when I was doing 10 with Blake Edwards, I said, oh, Mr. Edwards, this is going to be such a big hit. He said, honey, if we knew what made a hit, we'd have a lot more of them. <laughs> well, that's that's a good point. You know, Stephen was just coming off a total flop called Used Cars. Mm-hmm. So, and that's actually what I read for uh, was oh. Used Cars. But Stephen works very, very far into the future. 
And I was just what he was looking for to play the mom mm -hmm. in E.T. He wanted someone childlike and vulnerable, and I've heard that all my life. Uh, Blake used to say, you know, I could, I could stand nine little old ladies up and let you kill them in cold blood, and the audience would go, oh, poor baby. It's something her mother did to her when she was little. <laughs> you know? Oh, I love that. Yeah, I, um, I can see that. I can see that. Um, yeah, it's just born into me. Well, it, it, but it works. And it's part of, I think, what makes your character so lovable is that you do have a sweet innocence about you, even in uh, films where you have to not be sweet and innocent. You haven't seen Three from Hell, have you? <laughs> not yet, but I'm going to. Absolutely. Uh, and I want to talk about that. But I, I wondered, though, uh, since you and Danny Pintaro had such good chemistry, were you did anybody approach you to play Angela on Who's the Boss? No. I'm kind of surprised. I, I think Angela was probably cast way before Danny was. Oh, that could be. Yeah, because I know that show was in the works for a while. Um, but you did play another TV mom. You did an episode of The Office. I did. Yeah, I didn't have much to do on it, but we had a good time that day. It was just kind of random because Andy's parents changed on every episode. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's yeah. funny. That's funny. But that was a nice little surprise. Did they uh, did they treat you well on that show? Oh, yeah. It's a, it was a lot of fun. I was just expecting a lot of kind of free improv. And the show's very scripted, much more scripted than I ever knew. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of a little bit disappointed about that. But everybody was very sweet and... We had a good time, and yeah, it's good. My understanding is that really changed after Steve Carell's departure, that the uh, they kind of tightened up on things a little bit because he was the one that sort of uh, created that environment where people would just come up with whatever. Uh, I don't know. I can't speak to that because I, I didn't work it when Steve was there. Um, but it's it's unfortunate because, you know, I did a... Um, wonderful show, uh, Sons and Daughters, where we would get a loose storyline and then everybody would come in with their best ideas and we'd throw it out there in, in a take and the director would go, oh, that worked and that worked and that was great and can you, you know, take this a little further out with it and it was it was scary as hell for me in the beginning and such joyous freedom the more I got used to working that and you know I think my best place to work is with some pretty clear direction and then um, my director's trust to let me bring in whatever's going on with her. Mm -hmm. But if, if I, I find if, if, if I walk on a set and people just go, well, just go improv anywhere you want to go. That's not enough direction for me. Right. Yeah. But if they say you can't change any lines and you have to, that's not enough freedom for me. Yeah. So I would think for any actor though, it would be just a little bit rigid to have to be so precise and perfect and not, it's not breathable. Then it becomes not realistic. Exactly. 
And uh, that's one of the reasons. I, I mean, all the directors, all the big directors that I've worked with um, give you that freedom. And that's why a lot of them are very successful. Yeah, it's the smaller directors that want to micromanage you because mm -hmm. they're afraid, you know. They're afraid if they don't have control over everything, it's not going to come out okay. But one of the biggest successes of a film is casting. And if you're not casting people you think you can trust, why are you casting them? Bingo. You're talking to the choir, baby. <laughs> it doesn't seem that hard to see myself, but I'm not a director. so. Uh, but you, you have so many uh, uh, other projects going on. So you just did Three from Hell, and that was directed by Rob Zombie. Was that your first time working with him? Oh, no, no. I've done four four films with Rob. I adore Rob. He's he's such a great guy and a great person and just love to work with him as a director. Um, Bobby Miller is very much the same. He just directed me in Critters Attack, mm -hmm. and which will be on Sci-Fi in October. And we just we just had a lot of fun. He was really available. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he wanted, but then he let you come in and play. And um, and then I just finished a, a lovely little film called Christmas in Louisiana. It'll be on in November on Lifetime. Lifetime, okay. And uh, Barry Boswick plays my husband for the third time in my career. <laughs> <laughs> we have a great chemistry. Barry and I. So he seems like he would be, you know. And again, it's I see him as an actor, but he just seems like he has a very genuine quality about him as well. Oh, he's a sweet sweetheart, sweet sweet man. Yeah, yeah. I saw him in another Christmas movie that he did a couple of years ago. Because every year when I work on a Christmas album, it's during the summer, so I have to. I put on all these different Christmas movies to kind of get myself into that mood. <laughs> and there was one that he watched. And of course, it's 118 degrees outside. And I'm trying to think about growing up in Michigan when it's two degrees. Um, yeah. But he was so good in that. And I really felt like, gosh, this guy is just a, a really honest, real person. Yeah. Yeah, he is. He And, and very giving with his other actors. And mm. We just, all the actors, Jana Kramer, played my granddaughter in it, uh, Moira Kelly. Do you remember Moira? She's just starting her career up again oh, uh, after raising her kids. We just had uh, all the actors, you know, just sometimes you just bond and it all works and everybody loves each other and just gets into each other's timing and, yeah, it was just a really beautiful experience. I love that your work is so versatile. I mean, here you're shooting a horror movie and then a Christmas movie and then, you know, you just did another horror movie and you really have a, a really versatile palette. But that has to keep things fresh, right? Because you're not always doing romantic comedies. Well, that would bore the hell out of me. Yeah, I would think <laughs> Quite so. Quite truthfully. You know, but I... I I mean, there are all sides of D, and I want to use all sides of D. I, you know, I have never killed anybody, but I sure as hell wanted to. <laughs> so I know, I know that emotion. Uh, I, I, I know loss. I've lost so many people in my life. I know grief. 
I know fear, you know, and if I can help other people heal from those things by watching me and the and the journey I go through as a character, what else could you want? Right. You know, as an actor, uh, I just, I want to do it all. I want to play it all. I, 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 one thing that I haven't ever gotten to play is a nun. I want to play a nun who is searching and tormented by, by the truth. And is this the truth of what I'm living and who I've become? And, um, so yeah, I, I, I want to do it all. <laughs> I love that idea. Uh, but I, but I love that you just jump from one thing to another and it's, it's just so versatile. And then everything, every time I turn a movie on, cause I don't typically watch movies a lot. I have them on while I'm doing marketing or accounting or whatever. And I had one on a couple of weeks ago and it was, uh, what was it? Uh, death house. And there you are, you popped up in another <laughs> one. Yeah. I, w- I went in and did that uh, as a favor uh, for the director. It, w- that was one of the hardest parts I've ever had to play because she had no heart. Yeah. And I base all my characters from that heart space. You know, I believe that every scene, every movie in one way or another is about love, getting love, losing love, striving for love. Um having your heart break from love somehow that theme weaves through everything and to play a character who no heart was difficult for me you were very robotic and that was that was kind of a it was awkward to watch that because i've i've never seen you so emotionless yeah i didn't it didn't didn't rock me to do that as much as i thought it was going to Right. Uh, yeah, I would think so. And and you, uh, it was nice seeing you working with Barbara Crampton, too. That was another surprise. Yeah, Barbara. I love Barbara. That yeah. was fun. So I want to talk to you about, um, and thank you for walking down memory lane with me. I, I know it's got to get tiring talking about some of these older movies, but um, they've just played such an iconic role. I never get tired of talking about them, ever. Oh, that's good. You know, I, I heard uh, a couple of interviews with uh, Loretta Swit recently. And uh, she said the same thing. She's like, I will never get tired of talking about MASH. It, it was such an important part of her life. Yeah. Yeah. I like Well, that. rightfully so. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't understand actors that that do these big iconic things or things that affect people so much in their lives. And then they dump on them for the rest right. of their yeah. life. I don't get it. But yeah. what's the point? Everybody, nobody wants to hear all the BS and sure, you know, nobody wants to hear it. They just enjoy your work and they want to hear the good stories. And, uh, you know, sure. Well, I have to say, in my opinion, one of your most important roles is when you played yourself giving a TED talk. And if anybody who hasn't heard it or seen it on YouTube yet, I've got the link in the show notes, but this is probably the most honest from the heart talk I've seen. And I've watched quite a few of them, but this one, it's its really intense. Thank you. Well, you know, it's my my healing work. It's funny. I, I go do a horror film and then I come home and teach 
people how to heal themselves from fear. <laughs> you know, uh, the dichotomy of D, I call it. Yes. Um, but it's, it's a passion of mine to get this information out to the public and empower them and help them heal themselves. Um, the whole talk uh, is about the the issue of how our little children are running our adult lives, and we don't know it. Things that we were taught verbally or things that were modeled to us through behavior, and we made beliefs out of them. Uh, by the time you're seven years old, your brain, from the way you see yourself in the world and how you see the world seeing you as far as your importance, it's done by seven years old. Mm -hmm. It's complete by seven years old. So um, that got me into brain science. And when I started combining brain science with all the spiritual work that I was doing, I, I, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm sure Christ was teaching brain science but they didn't even know what a brain was back then. So he had to teach it in the only words that people could understand. But religion and spirituality and brain science all saying the same thing. Right. Focus on what you want. You have to choose. You're the power, right? God helps him who helps himself. So it all starts with you. And if we don't realize how much our little kids are running and limiting us from what we want as adults, it's a lot harder. So I would love everybody to go see that TED Talk and really think about your own childhood. You'll see clearly where the blocks in your adult life are coming from. I think it was it was stunning, and I can't even tell you how many times I've watched it now, and every time I feel something, I don't know if deeper is the right word, but I feel something new. Every time I watch it, it's very, wow. very powerful. Well, thank you for that. Well, thank, thank you, you for doing it. Uh, do you think, though, that part of the problem with this then when it comes to being received by people is that it forces us to take responsibility for our actions as opposed to blaming everyone else for our problems? Well, if you don't take responsibility for your own self-creation, you'll be in your life. Oh, That's absolutely. the easiest way I can say it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, yes, everything about creation is you taking responsibility for you. And one of the biggest uh, principles that I work with with so many of my people is that this old religious holdover where they're waiting for God or waiting for the angels or waiting for their guides to tell them what to do or to give them the sign, and it literally works the other way. All the energy is waiting for you to decide and commit and say, okay, I'm creating this. Now, universe, will you partner with me? But doesn't that kind of go along with the taking responsibility part? If you can blame God for it not being something he wants you to have in your life, then it's easier to say that than not doing what it takes to actually get it. You bet. You bet. And if, see, I, I for me, the definition of God is all thought and all, and all possibility. Mm -hmm. And we are all, all of that because that's what energy is. So if you think of it in terms of all thought and all possibility, and I am that, I get to choose the thoughts, I get to choose the possibilities for myself, or I get to limit myself 
by not choosing and accepting the responsibility. Yeah. Now, I, I'm still back and forth on what I think God is. I, I All I know is if I die and I go to heaven and it's George Burns sitting in a chair smoking a cigar, I'm going to be very disappointed. <laughs> I don't know. Those movies were pretty funny. <laughs> they actually were at, at the time. Yeah, uh, but... I'm, I'm kind of hoping God has that sense of humor anyway. <laughs> well, that would you be know? interesting for sure. Yeah, I guess we're just <laughs> expecting something so epic, you know. Um, now, the... You uh, had some meditations that you created a while ago, and I had gotten them uh, when I was living in Arizona, and I was listening to them for a couple of weeks before I came up to Vegas with the express purpose of writing a screenplay. And all I knew was I wanted it to be a sci-fi, and I was writing it for a friend of mine, to be uh, for it to be a movie made for her. And I had really... I, I'm not a, a very skilled writer. I haven't been doing this a lot, but I can get in a zone and write, but I really think that those meditations that you had uh, really, really helped me because I wrote the script from beginning to end in three days. Wow. Like my daughter wrote her book. Yes. Wow. That's great. Well, but you see, that's channeling. Mm -hmm. That's what I do with a character. That's what I do. I'm a clairaudient when I do my healing work. I, I channel the information and most creatives know that, that if you just get out of your own way and trust, uh, all thought and all possibility will come in and help write it for you, literally. Yes. Through you is probably a better way to say it. Now, the funny part about that trip was when I got to my hotel, uh, I popped on the TV while I was unpacking and, and getting the, the writing area set up and Throw Mama from the Train had just started. So here I am, uh, gone out of town with the purpose of writing a screenplay, and uh, and here he is, Billy Crystal, going, uh, you know, just terrorized over what the first words of his book are going to be, and I'm like, please don't let me start like that, <laughs> you know. And so I, yeah. I listened to the meditation again and kind of got in the zone, and then I laughed about it. And uh, but yeah, I, I really just dialed it in, and and uh, I was really amazed. So thank you very much for putting that out there because I definitely think you helped me open that door. Uh, and allow me to not feel pressured by the time frame or anything I was dealing with and just focus on what I was doing. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, thank you. And um, John Nelson, who was editor on my book, Bright Light, um, he gave me some great guidance. He said, D, don't edit, don't think, just write. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll, I'll go back and tell you where you need to redo something or add something or whatever, but you just sit down and let it flow, which is another way of saying, open the channel and just write, Yes, you know, let the information come through you. And then it's so easy. It really is. And if you're too busy editing yourself, you might miss things that are important. You can always cut them out later. Yeah, exactly. But it won't be there if you don't put it in, in the first place. But while you're, if you're doing that while you're writing, you interrupt the flow. Right. It's like when I'm in the channel and somebody comes in to talk to me, it stops the flow of energy and I come out of the channel. Right. You know? Yeah. And we do that to ourselves when we go back and forth between our right and left brain. Mm -hmm. Very true. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite parts of Sunday, besides the fact that I can sleep in, is that I love listening to your radio show, Conscious Creation, every morning on Blog Talk Radio. 
Boy, that didn't Thank sound like you. a commercial at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it sounded like a heartfelt commercial, so I loved it. It was. Yes. Thank you. I do. I do love the show. A lot of people say it's their church. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. But what I like about it is that you're let's cut to the chase. Don't tell me a bunch of your story. I don't need to hear all the, you know, waz and baz and whatever. Let's just get to what you want, because that's really what we need to do as people. Yes. Well, and again, the only problem with your story is that you keep telling it. So, yes, I was poor growing up. Yes, my dad was an alcoholic. Yes, he committed suicide when I was a senior in high school. You know, that's true. That's all my story. But if I allow my story to define who I am now and hold me back and use it as an excuse, what's the point? Right. I I want to go out and expand and be happy and and make money and be healthy and have great relationships and, you know, and you can't, you're going to create whatever you keep focused on and thinking about and talking about. Yeah. So if you don't want to keep living the same story, you got to start picking a new one. Well, tell me if you think that this is a good thing to do. Whenever I feel like I'm up against something that I just don't have the strength to overcome, that's really the only time I like to look back and see what I've already survived and and been through to get me to the point I'm at now. And then I use that as the strength to go, look, if I can get through all of that, I can get through this too. But apart from that, I really don't like to. As long as you move on, that's that's an okay thing. Yeah. As long as you move on. The, the challenge, though, is that most people stop there. Uh, when I do workshops and I have somebody come up on stage and I'll go, okay, so tell me what you want. Uh, I don't want to have to worry about money. Uh-huh. So tell me what you want. Well, I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to freak out about money all the time. Okay, so tell me what you want. And it'll take me 20 minutes to get them to say, I want more money. And I go, now we can start. Right. Because now you've said what you want. Right. But most people who are wanting help are focused on fixing sickness. And you can't create health by focusing on sickness. Exactly. If the sickness comes, if you're dealing with sickness or with some kind of dis-ease, it's because you haven't addressed energetically what you need to address and your body's finally saying, okay, if nothing else is going to get your attention, I'll show you here. And what's worse is then we're training the next generation and the next generation to keep doing that same thing and not break that pattern. Yep. Sins of the fathers. Yeah. You bet. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do we, I mean, it seems like more people nowadays are awakening a little bit more to different thought patterns and things. Do you see it getting better? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. People are waking up right and left. Uh, the challenge, again, is to really realize the belief systems that are running you, all of which belong to somebody else at one point society, religion, your parents, your grandparents, whatever, you you have to be conscious enough and look at yourself objectively enough to know what's running you. 
And then you have to be tough love with yourself and go, I ain't doing it anymore. This ain't getting me what I want. Now, if you want to be a victim and you want to manipulate people with your victimness, you can say that and nothing's ever going to change. Very true. And I often wonder, after a movie's over, I often wonder what happens to the people after. So taking your your character in Cujo and looking at her as to what happened after the movie ended, would you go on and be the victim and tell everybody what this horrible thing was that you experienced? Or would you be the the kind of person that would survive it and say, you know what, that was yesterday, today's a new day, that's in the past, I need to move on? Well, I hope I, I hope Donna would be the second. I know for sure she'd start working on her marriage. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> In fact, you know, it's interesting that you say that because I was thinking uh, as a child, I looked at the movie a certain way. As an adult, I look at it a different way. And Oh, yeah. I was and when you're mad. a parent, you look at it in an entirely different way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Now, I had asked Gabrielle a question about you, and I'm going to ask you the same question uh -oh. So when it came to her book and when she was living all of this and she's out of the country, she's not used to traveling by herself. Amazing. I mean, what a strong child you've raised. But thank you. Do you think that you would have been as concerned about things like her safety and her health if she was a boy? Uh, that's a good question. You know, every day that she was gone... Um, I, I had a regiment that I did with myself to your own divine. I am presence, meaning I release you to your own creation. Um, I am the mother of a strong woman who is joyful, healthy, and always protected in this world. And then I just trusted that she was because I had directed the energy to create what I wanted. Um, so I, of course I'm human and I looked forward to when I talked to her on WhatsApp app every two or three days, but I didn't spend my days worrying about her. Um, if, if the worry was there at all is it was that she find peace and joy and love for herself again. Yeah, I, I like that. And uh, I, I was I was curious about how you would uh, how you would look at that because of the way that you look at energy and the way that you look at what you put your attention to. Um, it's kind of an interesting situation for you to be in. It was, and the the channel uh, talks about this quite a lot. That the biggest sin we do against our children is to worry about them because. Well, when you're worrying, you're putting all of your attention on the negative right. that you don't want. Mm -hmm. And plus, you're you're more likely to be on top of them all the time and not let them learn and grow in their own way because you're worried about some harm coming to them. Exactly. Yeah. Which says to them, I don't trust you to take care of yourself. Right. So you're not you're not emboldening them to create their own lives powerfully through worry. It's, it's an oxymoron. It really is. And you had, uh, you had said another thing I heard in a, in an interview with you recently, and I'm trying to remember if it was the one uh, that you did recently with Alison Arngrim. I hope I said that right. Her name is very difficult to yes, pronounce. Uh -huh. uh, I did not know that she had a show and I found her show through you. So I was very excited. 
Um, she, you guys were talking about something and you mentioned um, a comparison to the oxygen mask on an airplane. And that's a metaphor that I've used quite often saying that you really, you're not supposed to help somebody else until you have yourself safe. Well, and what we were talking about was Mm self-love. You've got to love yourself first. And we're, none of us are ever taught to do that. Right. We're, all of us are taught that that's a bad thing, that, that that's egotistical, that God's not going to like us if we do that. Mm -hmm. Now, God never said that. But man certainly is infamous for passing that down as God's word. Right. So, you know, if you don't love yourself first, how do you know how to love others as um, magnificently as it is possible? It, it, you just can't do it. And and the more we honor and respect ourselves as the creators we are and put that mask on first, the more we can empower everyone else to do the same and create themselves. Absolutely. And it just seems like we're set up for failure because of all that programming that comes into us at such an early age. Which is why I did the TED Talk. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, I really encourage highly everybody to go watch it and not just once, but watch it and then go away for a couple of days and come back and watch it again and do that a couple more times because you'll really get, it's just so powerful. You'll get something more out of it every time. Um, On top of conscious creation, though, you also have other programs that you do. You just did one on politics. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, yes. I I invite, I, you know, this, it's not just the country, it's the world. We are so confused right now, bouncing off walls around all this politics stuff. And so the channel told me, ordered me, <laughs> to do a webinar on the bipartisan neutral information that people could use as guidelines to uh, elect the highest officials and the highest laws uh, for the universe to move forward. It's free. I was told I had to do it for free, so I didn't charge. So if you go to com, it's on the home page, and it's free, and you can click and listen to the download. Some incredible information um, on there. And uh, another thing that's free on the website is um, the past life regression, which is extremely powerful to listen to, especially for any of of you that have lost a loved one and don't understand why they left so early and why they would leave you. You're going to get a lot of peace out of listening to uh, the past life regression. Dolores Cannon, who was one of, well, she was the quintessential uh, past life regressionist. She's no longer with us, um, but she found my work and took me on tour one summer. Oh. And uh, while we were on tour, she asked me to come up and and do a, one of the past life regressions so that she could um, teach it and have an example of it. And it's something that I highly value. So there's just a lot of 
any subject that there's so many webinars on money, on health, uh, and everything is really affordable, guys, to help you in your journey of self-empowerment. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a new health uh, webinar coming up as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm excited about that. I I found this young lady named Masami Kobe, Kobe and um, she's part Japanese. And uh, I met her at a conference and I went over and I said, well, I'd like to talk to you about my your work. And she without me saying anything, listed the three issues, physical issues that I wanted to ask her about, told me what I should do with them. I followed up with her. She uh, got into more detail, actually told me what I needed to take, bought this stuff and sent it to me. Wow. So I'm going to do a two-hour webinar. If anybody has any questions about health, and uh, you know what a medical intuitive does. She looks into your energy and sees the connection about what's creating uh, the problems or the challenges uh, within your body or your mind. So um, it's there is a charge for that. It's $50 for two whole hours, and you can ask uh, anything you want. And I also will be there as a channel to give you any information that the channel has. Yeah, I'm very excited. I, I wish it was tonight, to be honest. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited about it too. She's she's tuned in and tapped in. Yeah. For sure. Well I and and seriously go to imdwallace.com. Again, that link will be in the show notes as well. Um, there's just a, a veritable taster tray of wonderful things on that site and a lot of things that can help you guys uh, improve your lives as well. And I, I can say that as a testimonial because I've experienced those things and my life has improved greatly. And that's something I will never be able to thank you enough for, Dee. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. Well, before we go, um, I, I was trying to think if I had to describe you in one word, what would that word be? And I don't normally like to play those games because it's kind of silly and arbitrary. It could change from one moment to another. But all day long, this one word has stuck with, with, with me, and that word is vibrant. Oh, how nice. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. We all want to have a vibrant frequency because the frequency that we send out to the universe is what it sends back to us as the reality of our lives. So love and vibrancy and joy you bet. And don't I, I want to be all those things. And just don't be a dick. I mean, life is not that difficult. If we're just all nice to each Indeed. other. Indeed. You know? <laughs> how hard is it? Yeah. Well, it's actually pretty easy unless you keep saying it's hard and then you get to live that story. Eggs. Oh, that's perfect. That is absolutely perfect. D, I cannot thank you enough for spending some time with me today. Uh, I love talking to you. I love talking to Gabrielle. Uh, for those of you who haven't listened to that episode, uh, Gabrielle Stone's episode was just a couple episodes ago. Fantastic with her new book, Eat, Pray, Hashtag Fuck My Life. And then, of course, Dee, with all the wonderful things you've got coming out, Christmas in Louisiana, uh, the new Critters movie. Uh, Three from Hell is out now. Is that right? Yes. It is. Okay. Right now. So go yeah. right now after you're done listening to the podcast and the TED Talk, go see that and visit her at imdwallace.com. Listen to her Sunday morning on Conscious Creation on Blog Talk Radio. That link is on her website. It's a free uh, hour to listen every morning. 
and uh, and you'll feel great after you've listened to it. Thank you so much, Dee. You're awesome. Oh, this has been an amazing hour. Thank you so much for, you know, for for your expertise and your care about researching. And, you know, I do a lot of interviews. Most people don't do that anymore. And it's so greatly appreciated. So thank you. Thank you very much. And and as a side note, uh, if you want to listen to another great interview with Dee, uh, her recent interview with Allison Ing- Ingram, Ingram, I, I'll spell it later. Angram. Angram. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, who, uh, for those of you who don't know the name, she was Nellie Olson on Little House on the Prairie. And she's actually very lovely in real life, has a fantastic show. Uh, go check that one out as well. Dee, come and see us again. I will. Anytime you let me know. Will do. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. okay bye-bye. Well, there you have it, folks. The amazing and vibrant Dee Wallace joining me on the podcast this week. I'm so grateful for her time, for her knowledge, for her energy. She is just absolutely amazing. One of my favorite people of all time. And I'm very honored that she came on the show. And uh, go check her out. Go watch her TED Talk right now. It's absolutely amazing. Link is in the show notes. And that's it for this week in another edition of the Haskin Cast podcast. Please remember to go to iTunes, YouTube, anywhere that you watch the show or listen to the show and click that like button, click subscribe, uh, leave some feedback, a star rating, whatever you like. It really helps me get out to more people. Thank you guys very much. And I will see you next week with another special guest. Mm-hmm.